going to start a study on the book of Hebrews this morning. And so I'd like to read the first chapter. <clears throat> I'll start off with the first chapter. Before I read it, I'd like to just read you something and listen to it very carefully because <clears throat> I want us to really study the book of Hebrews in the next few days. As we begin our study, the book of well, I've told Christians all down through the ever since I've been saved, you ought to read the book of Romans first as a baby Christian, and then follow that up with the book of Hebrews. I read a little something that a man wrote in the introduction to the study of the book of Hebrews. Listen to it for just a minute, if you would, please. He entitled it, Who This Book Is Primarily Written To. Going back to the times of temple worship before Christ or even a little time after Jesus was crucified, the trumpets of the temple sound long, loud, the daily summons to the evening sacrifice, and the priests performed their required washings, attired themselves in gorgeous vestures, and set out for the house of God, which crowns the hill of Moriah like a golden diadem, glittering and flashing in the sun. Again the summons rings forth, and yet again the third and last time. The officiating priests of the day hastened up the broad steps leading to the outer court. From all over Jerusalem, the people, the Levites, and the priests flocked towards the temple. As the surrounding hills echoed back the trumpet sound, through the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, they brushed through the pillars, clusters, leading to the stately dwellings of the priests and the temple's ministering officers. On they go towards the inner or holy temple, looking with pride and admiration on the marble walls, the gold and silver gates, the gleaming gold ornaments of clustered grapes and pomegranates, the cedar roofs and splendid hangings of purple and scarlet, and the altar of rich incense that filled the air with fragrant perfume. The sacrifice of priests for the day approached the altar, now surrounded by the gathering crowd, and takes the appointed animal victim from the hands of the attending Levites. After slaying it in accordance with all the necessary forms, he presents it before the Lord. The fire burns and the smoke ascends while the sacrifice is consumed. Standing somewhere in this assembled crowd is a Jew, born in the tribe of Levi, of the house of Aaron. Thus by every right a priest, but he has become a Christian. So this splendid temple and its gorgeous rituals, decreed by holy writ and traditions reaching back from century to century is no longer for him. However, he gazes at it with somewhat wistful feeling, a tug at his heart. Although he knows that the temple and its functions are mere shadows of that the substance is Christ. The temple looks so real and the ritual speaks with such authority that the shadow looks like the substance while the substance seems like the shadow. 
the epistle of Hebrews was written for him. In a house off in the alley, a few blocks back from the massive walls of Jerusalem, there's another Jew. In his house was a prized possession, a copy of the book of Moses, the prophet, and of the Psalms. It has been in the family for years and knows most of it by heart. Lee has been reading it again. He is thirsting things through. Can the blood of bulls and goats take away sin? He asks himself. Of what value are all these rituals? Surely they must speak of something else. There must be a reality behind them all. And is it really Calvary? Can it be that Christians are right after all? He opens one of the scrolls, and what of all these prophecies concerning the Messiah? Ought not the Christ to have suffered? How else can Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, and Psalm 16 be explained? They pierced my hands and my feet, he says. Thou wilt not suffer the Holy One to see corruption. What can that mean but the resurrection of the dead? And what then are the Christians correct when they say that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled such uh, scriptures as these? He goes from one scroll to scroll, finding each one unexplained ceremonies, unsatisfied longings, unfulfilled prophecies, deciding to stake everything on the despised and rejected Jesus of Nazareth. He becomes a Christian, makes his faith known, and is cut off from the people. His outraged parents disinherited cast him out of the family and outside the camp, hold a funeral for him, and consider him dead. His heart aches for his loved ones, for the close-knit family ties of the Jews, missing the cheer and comfort of home, missing the rich rituals in which he has been reared, missing the synagogue and its forms, and begins to wonder if he should go back. The epistle to the Hebrews was written for him. When I read that, I thought about the book of Hebrews, and that is exactly what the book of Hebrews is written for. It is written for primarily, number one, for everybody, okay? But primarily it is also written to the Jew that... uh, was worshiping in the synagogue and now and I believe the writer of the book of Hebrews is Paul nobody knows for sure nobody can say for sure uh, who God used but the wording of it corresponds to a lot of the writings that Paul wrote to the churches and that's the reason I believe it is and but in writing to these Jew believers these converts that had been worshiping in the temple and some of them wanted to go back into that. He uses the book of Hebrews to explain that Jesus is everything that the temple worship represented and he explains it to them and that's why the book of Hebrews is so important. You see, the the truth of the matter we all know, for by grace are we saved through faith and that not ourselves a gift of God. Amen. Not a worse should any man boast. Now, we Christians know that. 
But you take a Jew that had to bring these sacrifices. You take a Jew that went to the temple to worship like they did. And even today, you get into religious thoughts with people and they think that they got to do something to be saved. That's what the book of Hebrews is written for. To explain that the Christ fulfilled all our works that we are supposed to do. And so, I want to begin, if I can, uh, verse 1 of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world who being in the brightness of his glory and the expressive of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I would like to read the whole chapter but my voice is not going to let me so I'd like to just uh, from there we understand just what we just read in the book of Hebrews in times past Jesus spoke a certain way to people. But now Jesus comes on the scene and he fulfills all that and now God speaks to us through his son. No longer the temple, no longer the temple worship. Now, certain key expressions run through the book of Hebrews and they bring out the book's main purpose, which was the to urge Jews who had been brought to the doors of the salvation to go on and not to draw back. And one of these key words is perfection. Now look at chapter 2 with me now. And I'll, you can follow it all the way through in chapter 2. And look at verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of salvation perfect through sufferings. So you see the word perfect there. Uh, again, turn to chapter 5 now. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation and all of them that obey him. In chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And so the, the word perfection uh, crops up time and again in the book of Hebrews. Now, the word perfection never means sinless perfect. You've got to understand that in the New Testament. And usually it contrasts the mature Christian experience with the immature Christians. It's talking about babies in Christ and grown-up Christians, learned Christians. Uh, when the Bible speaks of elders in the assembly, it's not necessarily talking about older people. It's talking about more learned, more studied, more knowledgeable people of the Word of God. In other words, <clears throat> if I was in doubt of something, Paul said, in the church, uh, if I'm in doubt of something uh, that the Bible speaks of, I am to go find one of the members of the church that is an elder learned person, one that knows the scriptures, 
that can back up what is being taught by the Word of God. Not by... Uh, the one thing that I, I I don't like about a certain preacher that uh, that I respect greatly of listening to his sermons, though, I, I, he, he wrote a book that I read the book, the whole book, and it's question and answers. And people wrote in and asked him questions. He was answering them in this book. And they would ask him a question. He said, I think this about that question. And I said after I read it, I really don't care what you think. I mean, I, I do care in a sense. But I'm not interested in just what you think. I want to know what thus saith the Lord. In other words, if you come to me and ask me a question, I want to back it up with the Word of God. And so, if you want, suppose now that you was a new Christian, you just got saved, you just got born again. Well, you don't know everything. And the devil put thousands of questions in your mind. Every time. I don't care who you are. And in doing that, you need some help. And older Christians in the Bible that knows what they're talking about, we're to come to them and let them explain the Word of God to us from the Word of God. And by the way, the way that you explain the Word of God, you compare Scripture with Scripture. You don't take a, a commentary in the Scripture and explain it. You explain Scripture with Scripture. And the more that you read the Bible and become a more mature Christian, that's what you do. You know the Bible. You ever been reading the Bible and you come across something over here and you say, wait a minute, I remember reading something about that over here. And you turn back to it and it all dovetails together. That's a mature Christian. He knows what it is all the way through the Scripture. And therefore, uh, when it comes to perfection, one of the words of understanding the book of Hebrews, God wants everybody, including these young converts of Judaism, to go on to perfection. Don't stay back here. And in Judaism, it's like that lady I led to the Lord. It was a candidate. They come to church, and she said, "I said, now you need to come on, follow the Lord, and believe in baptism, get in the church, sort of walk." She said, "Pastor, I got to go back to the Catholic Church because she loved the rituals, she loved everything about it, but she knew she got born again, and that's what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about leave that stuff behind, go on to perfection." So that's a word that's prevalent in the book of Hebrews. Another word is a key word of understanding Hebrew is eternal. It occurs repeatedly to show that Christianity is a permanent abiding reality in contrast with Judaism, which was temporary in passing. In other words, the temple worship Judaism altogether. And there's a many of you today trying to worship just like it did back then. And it's, it said that that was a passing thing. Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. He doesn't just come on the scene for a while and leave. And also take with that the word forever. And it's used in the same way. Another key word is heaven. Or heavens or heavenly in the book of Hebrews, which contrasts Judaism, which was earthly, with Christianity, uh, which was heavenly in character. 
Uh, for instance, look at chapter 3 for me, just a minute, in verse 1. <clears throat> and I'll show you. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Notice, he's talking about all the things. Now he talked to, up to chapter 3, and he said, Now wherefore, because of all these teachings I just taught you, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, not the temple, not the earthly worship, but the heavenly calling. Another key word in the book of Hebrews is better. Now, it's used repeatedly to show that for all its outward show and splendor, Judaism was a poor second to Christianity. Christ is better than angels. Christ is better than covenants. And we have a better sacrifice. We have a better resurrection. And so the book of Hebrews is comparing Judaism with Christianity. And Christianity, everything about Christianity is better than all that other stuff behind. Now, the next word, or two words together, in key to understanding Hebrews, is let us. And it's used to urge upon the vital importance of personally appropriating all that is available uh, to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, let us use what Christ is to us. Don't just talk about it to somebody else. We're to use it daily in our own lives. And so it's a, it's a, a two words that go together. It's used quite a bit in the book of Hebrews. And the last one I'd like to give you, the word lest, L-E-S-T, is used to express the dread possibility of missing the real thing altogether, even though the initial response to the gospel was encouraging. Uh, look at chapter 2 with me, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Uh, look at uh, chapter 3, in verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the seed of sin. What he's saying here altogether, when he used the word less through the book of uh, Hebrews is, there is a possibility that a person comes up to the gospel. He hears the gospel. He even believes the gospel, but he walks away from it. That means he's not born again. He's not saved. Just because you hear the gospel, just because you know the gospel, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ does not save your soul. And so you've got to be very careful about that. And, and that's the reason that I preach and try to teach all the time that uh, when we're trying to lead somebody to Christ, we're not trying to get you to get somebody just to quote some words. What you're trying to do is to get somebody to understand this is how you do it, but you're making a commitment to God. Amen? And so it's very dangerous. Catholicism in the Catholic Church and so on, the Catholicism all down through other religions is repeating you ever, you ever been to a Catholic service? 
I went to a funeral, and I will forget it with a friend of mine. And they got up there, and, and the, the one, the, the guys up there, the priest or what they want to call him, he would say something, and everybody else would repeat exactly what he said. And they thought that that was good. And he'd read a scripture, maybe, and everybody would repeat the parts of the scripture, chanting. And that goes on in all kinds of religions. And what the book of Hebrews is saying, it's one thing to know what is right. It is another to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus. And that's salvation. And what you do, got to do is you got to be very careful that you don't get into a ritual. That's one of the reasons that I don't believe in robes in the choir. I don't believe in wearing a robe myself. I don't believe in coming in the same door twice. Uh, say whatever you want to. I just I, I, I don't want to get into a ritual. I don't want to get into uh, let's sing this song every time we come in. I don't want to get in. Uh, everybody stand now and be still a minute, and or, or whatever, whatever the ritual could be, and you can you can get into a ritual of doing things. We're past that. This is personal now, Amen. and that's what the Hebrews has written to us to, to let us understand. Now, before we begin verse by verse, there are five warnings passages in the book of Hebrews. And much controversy surrounding these warnings. But to fully understand these five warnings, you must study them in their context. Now, let's go to chapter 2. And I want to read the first four verses. Therefore, to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For the word spoken by angel was steadfast, and never transgression, disobedience, received a justice against the Lord. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at time first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed in us by them that heard him? God also bearing him witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now, the contrast preceding Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, has demonstrated that Christ is more than angels. He is superior in His majesty as Son of God and superior in His ministry as Son of Man. And because of this, we're to pay special heed to the words of God and even more so, God has spoken in his son. So, the first mean has to do with disregarding sal the salvation of God. That so great salvation, chapter 2, verse 3, purchased for us by one so superior to the greatness and most glorious of the angels. The punishment is on the spiritual side of things. Those who disregard God's salvation are the spiritual losers. They lose out on God's salvation and never have spiritual life. Now, <coughs> have you ever been talking to somebody about Christ and they want to bring up some <coughs> mystic, something that happened to them? I saw an angel. I saw an angel stood by my bedside. 
Uh, I had an experience. I died and left my body and looked down upon my body as it lay there. No, you didn't. The Bible says once to die and after this is judgment. Amen. Amen. And so uh, what I'm trying to say is there is so many people in the world today that when it comes to salvation, they want to bring some mystic into it. They want to bring some mysterious feelings. And by the way, it's good to have feelings, but some people don't. I mean, some people just trust Christ. And there's not much feelings involved in it. And we say, well, which one got saved? Both of them. The one that cried his heart out, the one that said, those said, I believe it. Amen. Amen. What's the difference? The difference is, and so what he's trying to say, the warning, first warning is be very careful when it comes to what my my mama used to run all over the church and said she spoke in tongues and, and I had the hardest time for 10 years lead my daddy to saving faith in Christ Jesus for this one reason. I know it's real. I saw your mama do it. I mean, I saw it. And that's all he could talk about. I mean, he, he'd seen people heal, you know, and everything else in the world. I saw it. And I said, no, Daddy, uh, it's not real. And, and trying to explain it to somebody, though, that sees what goes on in mystic crowds. And by the way, the devil knows exactly how to trick you. That's right. And he'll use anything in the world to get it done except simple faith in Christ Jesus. And that's what the book of Hebrews is written for. The second warning is found in chapter 3. Now look at chapter 3 now in verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, today, if you hear His voice. Alright, turn over to chapter 4 now. Chapter 4, verse 13. Neither there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, Hebrews here, the context surrounding Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 deal with Israel's failure to enter into the rest provided for them by God. The Old Testament Israelites believed in God to bring them out of Egypt, but they did not believe in God to bring them into Canaan. You remember? They... When Moses said, go over into the land and possess it, no, we can't go over to those giants. Wait a minute, God doesn't tell you to go. It's the same God that brought you out of Egypt. And what he's doing is contrasting these two right here in the book of Hebrews. Now the warning uh, here is disbelieving the sufficiency of God then. In other words, if God can save your soul, don't you think He can cure your cancer if He wants to? That's what He's talking about. He's talking about if God can save your soul, don't you think He can provide for your food on your table? And on and on and on. What it's saying is, you know where the rest in Christ is that the Bible speaks of? Canaan. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is the rest in Christ Jesus. What that simply means is, what are you worried about everything? If God can save you, so He can do anything. That's right. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. It's about this God that you say you worship as God can save you, so and you go about worrying about everything in the world. 
Where's your rest at? So we're in Canaan land. But you ain't got there. And that's why he's talking about Moses and carries you back there to explain that. That he could save you out of Egypt, but you wouldn't trust him to take care of the giants. Notice again, uh, the third warning is found in chapter 5 and verse 11. Chapter 5, verse, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. I turn with me now to chapter 6 and verse 20. Where the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now the context here has to do with Christ, our great high priest, and with the amazing ministry he sustains towards his own. Among the Jews were those who, uh, while knowing the truth, nevertheless stood or turned away altogether. Uh, they were choosing in favor of the outward uh, priesthood of the, of the sons of Aaron and were despised the Melchizedek priesthood of the Son of God. The warning has to do with discrediting the Son of God in as much of a, a serious in a nature that is preceding one. Now notice, the punishment is eternal side of things. Those who turn away from Christ are warned of impossibility of being new to repentance. Here's what I'm saying. And this is what the Bible is teaching here. If you come up to the Lord Jesus Christ and you know the truth and you turn away from Him to some other priesthood, you have no salvation. And there is no going to somebody else You've got to come to Christ. There's only one salvation. And you, you, you can't go back and, and enter into... And Melchizedek, the reason that he uses him here, you'll, you'll go back and find that Melchizedek had no father, had no mother in the priesthood. Not in his natural birth. You see, the lineage was very important in the, in the, the Levitical priesthood. You had to come from the tribe of Levi. You had to be born into it as God ordained to be a priest. But God chose Melchizedek to do something. And what he was trying to show us is Jesus, not necessarily who we think he is, but he's a son of God. He was chosen by God. That makes a difference. Amen. Not by what some man chooses to put in office. God chose Jesus Christ to be our great high priest. And you can't get away from that. Uh, the next two, I'll try to take up next week because I know I'm running out of time. I hope you're understanding what I'm getting at because I think you're going to enjoy all the way through it as we study. I know I have over the years. Heavenly Father, bless